Well, I'm glad to be here. Feels like home. It's been seven years, but it only seems like about 25. <laughs> but seriously, uh, as Mark said, been working down on Skid Row for the last seven years. Betty uh, took a gig with our women and children in Sidmar. She lived on campus in a little dumpy old little room for two years as she ministered to our families. And uh, I lived in my office for four years. On Wednesday, we had date night in uh, Burbank at the Olive Garden. And all you can eat salad, but that's not what I really want to talk about. Anyway, one of the things we learned while doing ministry these past seven years is where the gaps are with the programs that the missions offer. They do a great job while they're there. They help transform lives, introduce people to Jesus Christ. But what happens after they leave? It's a very difficult transition, and we feel like that's the gap that God has called us to. We started an organization called Deed and Truth. We are a missionary to this particular church. You are our biggest supporter. We appreciate you. We'll talk more about deed and truth uh, at the end. But today, I want to talk to you about a movie, one of my favorite movies. This year, 2022, marks the 35th anniversary of the classic, The Princess Bride. <laughs> I know. I see you appreciate art as well. It's, if you haven't seen it, it's a swashbuckling, romantic comedy, action adventure, uh, mystery, drama, thriller. <laughs> I know. So thoroughly epic that one genre cannot possibly contain its magnificence. Incredible characters. Physic the Giant. Miracle Max. The mysterious six-fingered man. And who could forget Buttercup? And don't forget Farm Boy. Great lines that you can use in real life. Like, inconceivable. You use that word a lot. I do not think it means what you think it means. Or, he's not all dead, he's only mostly dead. If he was all dead, there's only one thing you could do. Go through his pockets and look for loose change. Or have fun storming the castle. Now you might think, why am I taking time this morning to talk about my favorite movie? Well, I want you to know that the theme of the movie is also the title of today's sermon. You'll notice we intentionally left the title off. So right now, you have no idea what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so what I want you to do is learn through experiencing it. We've got a collage of scenes from the movie. I'm going to play them. I want you to carefully pay attention now. See if you can discern the hidden meaning of this movie and the title of our sermon. True love is the greatest thing in the world, except for nice MLT, mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich. So we can do it the conventional way, and I can tell you what we're going to talk about, or we can do it the fun way, and you tell me what we're going to talk about. What's the title of the message? True love, and more specifically, the nature, the true nature of true love. I use the adjective true to differentiate it from the way our 
culture tends to view it. It seems to have been trivialized and diluted, the meaning. And so I want to talk about biblical true love this morning. You know, the poets from the Renaissance period uh, kind of captured the word and started to re-emphasize what they thought it meant. And so it became more about romantic attraction in the current culture. We continue the same thing. It's like an overcoming force. They turned a verb into a noun to the demise of many, many relationships. But our current poets, i.e. songwriters, are still kind of captivated and confused by this thing called love. So what I wanted to do was, to my point, I put together an abridged summary of their collective thoughts on the topic. If you listen to the songs of the culture, you'll find there are many different kinds of love. U2 says there's ordinary love. Fleetwood Mac talked about big love. And John Legend took it even bigger with bigger love. (laughs) Phil Collins found a groovy kind of love. Etta James wanted a Sunday kind of love. Stone Temple Pilots just were satisfied with dumb love. And Lady Gaga spoke of stupid love. And Michael Buble told us all about crazy love. Supremes introduced us to baby love. And of course, Paul Anka, puppy love. (laughs) But who can forget America, who delved deep into love and told us about muskrat love. (laughs) There's different levels of love. The BJ's... The Bee Gees, they they asked, how deep is your love? Well, Petula Clark answered, well, my love is deeper than the deepest ocean. Now, the Doors, on the other hand, they stayed in the shallow end of the love ocean with their song, Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? (laughs) There are different amounts of love. Led Zeppelin got a whole lot of love. Brian Adams, he had a little love while Air Supply lamented being all out of love. There are different philosophies on how we encounter love. Casting crows were accidentally in love. Elvis Presley couldn't help falling in love. And of course, Usher declared that the DJ made us fall in love. (laughs) There are different methods of declaring love. Stevie Wonder just called to say I love you, but Jim Croce had to say I love you in a song. Yet there remains this confusion surrounding love. Tina Turner bluntly just questioned, what's love got to do with it? While Foreigner just wanted to know what love is. Back in 1958, the Monotones, what a great name for a band. (laughs) They asked a very important question in their song. Who wrote the book of love? Well, we're here today to answer that. God wrote the book of love. It's called a Bible. It's his love letter that he wrote to his love interest, the human race of all generations, and to you personally. And there's one author in particular in the Bible who's known as the apostle of love. He focused on love quite a bit. His name was John. And in his, apostle, in his um, gospel, he had 21 chapters where he talked about love 57 times. That's a couple times every chapter. But in his little letter in 1 John, there are only five chapters. But in those five chapters, he spoke of love 51 times. More than 10 times 
every chapter. It is the focus of his little letter. And I want to take three verses right in the middle of 1 John, which we use, uh, we got our name from it, we get our mission from it, and we get our vision from these three verses. And I want to share them with you today. Chapter 3 of 1 John, verses 16 through 18. And John writes this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. I want to talk to you about the true nature of love from these verses. I want to talk about getting a good working definition of love. I want to talk about the effect of love. And I want to talk about the litmus test to know if you have it. So let's get started and let's come up with a good definition from our Bibles of what love is. It starts out in verse 16 and it says, by this we know love. What? That he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. We who are sinners fighting against him, ignoring him, pretending to be him. Yes, he died for us. He met our deepest needs on the cross. He paid a debt that we owed the Father that we could never pay ourselves except being eternally separated from a loving God. And Christ came and paid that debt and met our deepest needs with God's greatest resource, his own son. True love. See, we put adjectives in front of the word love to know what kind of love we're talking about. But in the Greek language, where our New Testaments come from, they had several different words for love. Uh, so you'd know what they were talking about. They'd have a word for romantic love, physical love, if you will. There was a word for family love, that, that, which is instinctive within families, something that comes pretty natural affectionate family kind of love. There's a word that they use for brotherly love, friendship. When you feel warm and, and affectionate with another human being. And then there's the highest level of love. It's God's love for his people. It's unconditional love, and that's the word agape. You may be familiar with it. So when I talk about true love, I'm talking about this agape, divine unconditional love. And if we're going to have a working definition, we can take it right from this verse. And by the way, that phrase, laid down his life for us, you can find seven times in the New Testament. I think it's a great working definition. And so if you want to write it down, great. You can probably memorize it. But I'm simply saying this, that true love, agape love, is unconditionally laying down one's life for someone else. If we want to expand on that, we might say giving sacrificially of oneself to meet the fundamental needs of someone else without expecting anything in return. That's how you know it's true love. Too often we have mixed motives, and sometimes we might think we're loving someone, but what we're really after is some kind of a return. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul said this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. How rich was he? Well, he owns the world, 
all of the universe he made and owns. There's nothing that he doesn't own. How rich was he? As rich as rich could be. But how poor did he become? Well, in a very practical way, he left all that, surrendered his rights and privileges, took upon himself the form of a human being, and the last three years of his life, he was experiencing homelessness. He had no place to lay his head. How poor were we? We were completely lost, devoid of what we needed to have a relationship with God. How rich have we become? Well, when I speak to this audience, it has several ramifications. But let's just say God has really blessed us. We have the gift of eternal life if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And he's taken pretty good care of us in this physical world as well. So we got a good working definition. Let's talk about the second idea, the effect that happens in a person's life when they experience true love. This will always happen. Look what it says in the second part of this verse. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And here it is. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Ought is a word that obviously means appropriate. It's natural. It is the alternating response to having received God's love. We will automatically love others. When you are connected to the love source, you get love. We, we don't have the ability to manufacture love. We receive it from God, then we can give it back. He first loved us, we respond in love. Once we have God's love, we can then have something to give away to people that's real and true. Kind of like uh, at your house, do, uh, we don't have the source of the water, but if you're properly connected to the water source, when you turn that faucet on, it flows. The greatest single commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That was one command. But you say, yes, but it has the word and. Connect. There's two connecting thoughts. Right, but according to Jesus, it's one thing. In other words, when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the natural response that will prove the fact is that you will have love for one another. And so we see the effect of love is that we will love other people with the agape love we received. And that leads us to the third point. And I'd like to camp on this one for just a little bit. I want to talk about the litmus test of love. How do you really know that you are experiencing this true love and not some phony version of it or some diluted version of it? How do you know you have pure motivation that it's really the same unconditional love that God has given you that you are unconditionally loving others. How do you know? Well, this verse tells us. Look in verse 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Let's turn it around. If anyone does have the world's needs, or goods, excuse me, and sees his brother in need and does, closes his heart against him, God's love does not abide in him. It is the proof 
that you have a relationship with God. Not that we love our family. Not that we love our good neighbor. But that we love unconditionally the poor, the hurting, and the helpless. Because they're the only ones we know can't give us anything in return. That's how we know it's pure from God. The litmus test of true love. Notice he says little children. Now, he's not teaching Sunday school. In the beginning of 1 John, he lists three groups of people that he's writing to. The fathers, which we're supposed to understand as the mature believers. They've walked with the Lord for a long time. They're the teachers. They're leading the church. And then there are the young men. The young men are the growing believers who are, have been walking with God, and they're, they're really growing in their faith. And then there are the little children, people who are brand new to the faith. And he refers to them eight times in this book as little children. So he's teaching some very basic fundamental Christian truths. And this is the most fundamental truth there is. You see, God, three times in the Bible it says God is something. God is light, God is life, and God is love. Jesus himself is the personification of love. And when he says little children, what he's really saying is, this is at the root of discipleship. This should be the very first chapter in a discipleship book. And yet, when I look at discipleship books, compassion isn't even in there. Look at the verbs. If you, he who has worldly goods, he who sees a brother in need. And if he doesn't meet that physical need, he is closing his heart to that person. You know, 1 John really is written to give believers confidence that they're in Christ. And if you take the book and kind of capsulize it, I see three proofs that you're a believer. Three evidences of the fact that you have the love of God in you. The first one is where it starts. You have a new fundamental belief, a new core belief that Jesus is your Lord, that he's your Savior. And when you believe that, you receive his love. And then the second thing that's going to happen, you're going to have new behavior patterns from sinful to Christ-like, from selfish to selfless. But that happens because you have a new heart core motivation that drives your value system. And that is you have love for God that you will demonstrate to other people. Now, in the middle of the night last night, I got this idea. I need to Google some terms for this sermon. And so I got up and I... I googled some words, and I said, how many times are these words mentioned in the Bible? Now, I tried to be generous because it depends which translation you're looking at, how it's going to be translated, but I tried to be as fair as I could on these words, but here's what I came up with. You ready? Hell, the word hell, or something equivalent to it, is mentioned 149 times. Sin is mentioned 293 times. Pray, or prayer, is mentioned 313 times. Apparently, it's important. Praise or worship 
is mentioned 340 times. Heaven is mentioned 422 times. Faith or believe is mentioned 430 times. It's how you get into a relationship with God. Love is mentioned 551 times, surpassing all of those words in important doctrines that I've already shared with you. But that's not my point of telling you this. I looked up one more word because I was curious. I looked up the word poor. And it shows up over 2,000 times. How is that possible? Is it possible that we have missed a key element to faith and believing and relationship with God? That he is that concerned for folks who have not? Maybe it's because we don't experience it. But it's out there. Let me show you a couple of those verses. Not all 2,000, okay? <laughs> James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure, true love, undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Another chapter later, James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works? In other words, what happens when somebody says something, but they don't do it? Can faith save him? Is it real? Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's non-existent. It's not real. One more from the Old Testament. Let me set it up for you. Israel had departed from their God. They were living ungodly lives in an ungodly world. They were worshiping idols. They loved the world more than they loved their God. God, but at the same time, they were going to church. They were going to synagogue. They were going to temple. They were making sacrifices. They were doing disciplines like prayer and fasting. And so in this passage, God tells Isaiah, here's what I want you to tell my people about fasting. Verse 6 of chapter 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be like noonday. Are you stuck in your faith? Do you have the joy you once had? Is it possible 
We're neglecting something extremely important to God. True love. And if that wasn't enough, Matthew 25, you're probably familiar with it, at least what it talks about. It says, if you give a a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, it's like giving it to the Lord. If you visit someone who's sick, it's like visiting Jesus, right? You know that passage? Do you know what's at the front of that passage? There will be a day of reckoning for every human being, a judgment day on the resurrection day, the day of the Lord. And on that day, Matthew 25 says, what God is going to do is he's going to pluck out the goats that are not his and put them over here. He's going to take the sheep and put them over here. And there's going to be two distinct groups. This group is going to be cast into outer darkness. This group is going to eternal life. Do you know there's only one criteria listed in that passage to find out what it's based on? Do you know what it is? How do you care for the poor, the helpless, and the needy? Because that's really the only pure way to know if you're doing true love. Everything else is diluted to some levels. That's powerful stuff. And finally, the passage says, let's not love in words and talk only. As we like to say, sometimes words aren't enough. So what did we learn today from this passage? We understand that love by receiving it from God. We respond to that love by giving it away to others. And the true test that we have God's love in us is how we practically care for the needs of the poor. Agape towards the needy is not simply an emotion that we talk about. It's a passion we have to act upon. It's not enough to feel sad for the hurting and the helpless. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus and it's real, then we must do something utilizing the resources God has given us to give to them. Whether that is finances, treasures, or your time. Deed and Truth, our organization, is to help the homeless and try to end homelessness. I work at the Union Rescue Mission on Skid Row. Guess what? We've been there 131 years, and it's getting worse. I don't know if we're ever going to end homelessness. I don't, I don't see that happening. But I know we could end it for one family at a time, and that's what we're about. Betty worked for two years at the women's facility. I've, I've been working for seven years downtown, and we've noticed something. There's a gap. The missions do a great job of pulling in the homeless, although keep in mind, the homeless you're probably meeting on the street or in the parks, we don't support that, by the way. We are advocates of the poor and the homeless but we don't think they should be outside. They shouldn't be at the park. They shouldn't be at the ocean. They shouldn't be just roaming around doing whatever they want. They can't, shouldn't be on the public sidewalks. Th- that's not loving people. That's enabling dysfunctional living. It's unhealthy. It's unsafe. They need to be inside. But only seven, uh, seven out of ten homeless in L.A., I can speak for L.A., are outside. The three out of ten that come in, to be quite honest... Don't always succeed. 
And so there's a very small group of people who say, I want life change and I'll work at it. And they get at the missions, they get introduced to Jesus Christ. Uh, Some of them receive, most of them meet Jesus. They're overwhelmed by the love that they're receiving for the very first time. And they respond with love back to him. But what happens when they leave? The things that have made them healthy, that kind of loving communities inside the mission, now they're going back on their own and they're worried, well, I fall back into my old life. Can I really do this? And so that's where we come in to come alongside them. We have a ministry called House to Home. We take, uh, once they have an apartment lined up, once they have a job, money in the bank, and they get a thumbs up from their case manager at the mission, they referred to us. We uh, look over that, make sure they have a functioning plan that seems like it can work, and we say, okay, we're coming to your house. We're going to send you out for lunch and go do some errands with your family. Come back in three or four hours, and your empty apartment is going to be a home where you can experience love and create some awesome memories with your family. We need help, and we get help from people like you. We have five different organizations that we help their graduates. We have seven different churches or organizations that help us Make it work. We have furniture that we collect. We put it in storage. We have truck. We take it out to them. And uh, we do everything for their house. And then we try to keep in touch with them. We have counseling, professional counseling, uh, pastoral counseling as well uh, for those who need ongoing help. And we try to pay attention to them. We're trying to do agape love for the homeless in a way that we feel um, people who really deserve it. Well, we'd appreciate your help too. But before um, I introduce you to someone, I just want to be right up front. We need your money, and we need your time. We need Saturdays, to be really specific. We're having a really hard time getting people out on Saturday. Uh, And we don't get a whole lot of notice. If we get two weeks' notice, that's pretty good. Because when the apartment comes up, and they got an opportunity, they have to snag it. Uh, You probably realize there's a housing problem. So we don't have a lot of time to prep. And that's what makes this difficult. But what we, what we want from, from the church is for you to put together about two teams with some reserves. People would say, I will give two or three Saturdays in the next 52. And you can have breakfast at home. We'll get you home in time for dinner. But can we have the in-between time? We're not asking you to take Jesus to this family, although you're doing that. What we're doing is asking you to visit Jesus and help him move in. Because when you do it to the least of these, you've done it for him. I want to introduce you to Pepper Hale from the Orange County Rescue Mission. Pepper, come on up. Given that uh, you're in San Clemente, South Orange County, we are working specifically for, you, for your house to homes with the Orange County Rescue Mission because it's the closest one. And we've developed a great relationship. Pepper, Betty, and I, by the way, just I'm gonna put this out there right now. We've already unofficially adopted her into our family. It's our third daughter. And uh, we love her deeply. She's doing uh, just tremendous work. She works specifically with the graduates, the Alumni Association, but she can tell you more about that and how house to home has impacted the Orange County Rescue Mission these last two years. Oh, good morning, you guys. Thank you for having me. Papa Dan, Mama Betty, <clears throat> uh, super grateful they have adopted me and my family. Um, I work with all the alumni, so anyone who has graduated from the Orange County Rescue Mission, 
Um, this includes families, husbands and wives with children, single mothers, single fathers, so anyone who has graduated from the mission. And through that, they have to go through a two-step process. So they'll live on campus for the first year, get back to that nine to five, and then start working out on their own. Once they're out working, they could save money and then move out. One of the things that um, we were kind of lacking in that area was once they moved out, they had to spend their savings on furniture and stuff like that. So they made it to that step, but now their little nest egg has depleted. One of the things that was really, really, truly amazing was during 2020, you know, when the world is crumbling down around us, I was introduced to Deed and Truth. House to Home came alongside us, and anyone who graduated from the mission got to move out and keep their little nest egg and come home to a fully furnished house. So for that, their house became a home. Very good. Now, Pepper is a unique, uh, has a unique journey. Pepper herself is a graduate of the Orange County Rescue Mission. And <laughs> so she didn't know we were going to do this, uh, but this past year, we did a house to home for her because she was in a pretty tough spot with her house. Maybe you could share personally how that, what that meant to you. So me, uh, being a graduate of the Orange County Rescue Mission, um, I went through the Orange County Rescue Mission in 2014, graduated in 2016. Um, through that, uh, we actually moved out. I was married at the time. We actually moved out and did not have that savings. So after um, we split up, my two sons and I were in a one-bedroom apartment in Cyprus. As you guys know, rent is pretty high, so that's really all I could afford. Through the rescue mission, I had another job opportunity where it moved me to a three-bedroom house in Buena Park. Moving out, I didn't have savings. I was barely even able to make rent in Cyprus. So Dan and Betty told me that they were going to bless me with house to home. And I started crying. You know, this is something that um, I've got to witness in many other alumni lives. And I actually was a part of the volunteer process, too, in some of the house to homes. And I got to witness the love... <laughs> the love that they put into each and every home. I didn't know what Pastor Dan's message was gonna be today, but I can honestly tell you that deed and truth, house to home is nothing but love. In those opportunities where they come and they're with these people, it doesn't just stop there. It's not a one-stop shop. They actually bring out, everyone pulls out their phone, they exchange phone numbers, and they have mentors along the way. They pray with people, they pray for people, they ask for prayer from us as well, so it is a unique unique thing, but when my sons and I got to come home to a fully furnished apartment, it really meant the world to me. It comes to, you know, brand new beds that you get to sleep in, to dishes in the cupboard, to silverware, to a, a toaster. You don't think of these things when, if you don't have them, but when you get them, it is a true blessing. And my house, I will tell you, turned out really, really nice. So it comes from donations. <laughs> Yes, it comes from donations. It could be gently used items from you guys. It could be just you taking a couple hours out of your day. But I, I can honestly say you will be on a spiritual high that you've never felt before when you're able to, to volunteer in this way. Well, thank you, Pepper. Let's give her a round of applause. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. I don't know what a four-minute video's worth. But we've just created a new video, and we've compiled a bunch of the reveals when they come home. We want you to feel what it feels like when you do these verses. 
right, let's see it. Okay, here we go. and everybody was, they were in a Bible study and I could just feel like a warmth, just like a presence in there.
took the time and um, thoughtfulness to donate towards this project for us today. Um, it really means the world to us. Um, thank you for your hearts and um, just considering us for something like this. It's a very beautiful thing. We just want to thank you in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Look at it, Mason. So I mentioned we need your money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can go online to the church website and go to give, click the deed and truth button, whatever God asks of you. We just appreciate it if you'd <clears throat> pass that along. We'll be sure to uh, use it to get some families into homes and end homelessness for that family. And we need some Saturdays. Will you commit to two or three? You can keep 49 or 50 of them, okay? But I, I say that it's hard to get them. I know you're really busy. And I know it's short notice. But would you commit to doing that? Don't, if you can't commit, don't, don't do it. But we're going to have a, a text blast. We'd like to get your phone number. We'll send it out to you. We realize you can't do them all, but if we could get two teams with some backups... Six or eight people on a team, plus the, our own team. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, if that's just something you cannot do, uh, if you can give financially and pray for these families, that'd be fantastic. This church has meant the world to us. This is where we raised our kids. You guys have been our biggest supporter. Um, we just want to say thank you for that. And thank you for being here this morning. And thank you for staying awake the entire time. And have an awesome Sunday. You can go outside and sign up to volunteer. You can volunteer or give online. God bless you all. Have a great Sunday afternoon. <laughs>